Welcome to King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. We are starting a new series. I'll record to get John and Janet. We're going to miss you guys so much. Just want to say thank you for your presence among us and your service. And uh, we wish you all the best in your journey. Um, Thank you. Look forward to hearing back from you. Okay. Let us know that everything's fine. Yep. Okay. Great. Typically, yes. Oh, no. This is a different series. If you're supposed to be in starting points, my husband will take you and show you where that is. Starting points is the class for people who are uh, looking to be new members here at King of Glory. If there's anybody else that needs to be in starting points, yeah. <laughs> we'll see you guys later. We'll see you in three weeks. And we're glad to have you. Oh, sorry, at least we caught you quickly. Sorry. It was a good start for them. We'll have to the next one. Thank you, Pastor. Let's say what we talk. Oh, I know. Let's go um, around and say our names. Um, some new faces this morning. And we're always glad to have new people. Uh, my name is Debbie. And. Ole Olson. Elizabeth Keller. Linda Nielsen. Oh, that's fine. Who wants to Yep. Joni Wallace. Bill Wallace. Tom Weaver. Mm-hmm. Davis. Alan Davis. Uh, Stephanie McKenna. This is my foster daughter, Dan Kimlin. Tom Giffen. I appreciate all of you and love you. Dave oh. <laughs> <laughs> Staples. Robert Staples. Don Ward. Chip Fraley. Kathy Fraley. Great to have you, Well, when those of us who teach adult Sunday school were asked, which Bible hero we would like to talk about for the four Sundays after Easter. Um, Tara had put out an email, and we all sent back our choices, and they all turned out to be women. <laughs> so The women were the ones who voted. Um, that each one is a surprise. Who is she? I can only reveal the one, and that's the one for today. But in the scripture, as you know, from the beginning of uh, Genesis to the end of the Gospels and all in between and beyond, women figure very prominently. What would we do without them? Um, In Genesis 3.15, the Lord announces to the serpent that the woman's offspring, that is ultimately Jesus, will crush the serpent's head even as the serpent bites him on the heel. And this is the first time we learn that there will always be a power play between good and evil, and that in the end, it will be Jesus, the offspring of Eve, who will crush Satan and gain the victory over sin and death. Well, then we get over to the Gospels, and we just have this story. At Jesus' crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, it is the women who are the most faithful, remaining steadfast at the cross, at the burial, uh, at the tomb, and then they are rewarded as they are the first to know about the resurrection and to see the resurrected Christ. He is not here. He is risen. 
it's fitting that we take some time to locate some of these women that have such an important part throughout the scripture, learn their stories, find out why their lives are important. Of each woman, we might ask three questions, and I listed these on your handout for you. Who is she, and what is her story? Why does her life shine brightly from the pages of Scripture? What can we, women and men of light, learn from this illustrious personality? Well, before we get into our femme fatale for today, let's open with prayer, and then we'll be on our way. Rob, did you have a um, yeah, sign up sheet is going around. We might have to share um, handouts. So we might be running a little high on those. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can come together around your word this morning. It's always such a privilege to open the scripture and to hear from you. We ask, Lord, that you would be present here in our discussion and that we would certainly hear and learn the things that you want us to know and that will impact our lives. We thank you for this Easter season and for the tomb that indeed is empty, and we rejoice in having a risen Savior who loves us. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, our first woman is a woman named Hannah. And her story is going to be found in Samuel, 1 Samuel, chapters 1 and 2. Her name is a palindrome. You know what that is, Faye? Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, either way you spell it, it goes. That's right. Either way you spell it, backwards and forwards, you still get Hannah. I know that because my mother's name was Hannah, and she often pointed that out to me. <laughs> so this has been a very special study for me. I've enjoyed learning more about the Hannah of Scripture. My mother um, was born when her father was 60 years old, first child. And he had married a younger woman. My grandmother was, I think, 39 when she was born, which was pretty old for that time. Um, but at any rate, um, he went through the Bible to find her name. And when he got to Hannah, he said, this is the name for our little girl. She's going to be Hannah. So she definitely became the apple of his eye, as you can imagine. And uh, so my, my spoiled mother, uh, only child, went on to have four children. And one of them she named Samuel. That's my younger brother, that she thought that was fitting because of the story of Hannah and Samuel. She did uh, dedicate him uh, to the Lord, um, but probably had to take him back to do that a number of times. Our <laughs> <laughs> Sam, you know, and I'm sure there were many times that she would have been very happy to have left him at the church as Hannah did with Samuel, but we'll get to that. Let's turn to 1 Samuel. Uh, we're going to start right at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. And um, I'm going to read you on just that opening verse, and then I'm going to depend on you to do some reading today. We have lots of scripture passages, and so if you would be willing to volunteer to do that when the time comes, that would be great. 
also want to welcome our friends at online who are joining us today. And I'm hoping that you can hear me all right and that you can see the screen, and we're glad that you're here. All right, verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zuthite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elhamah, son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. Okay, we got trouble right there. <laughs> One was called Hannah, and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. More trouble. <laughs> so what we need to know here is that Elkanah is the husband. He is from the town of Ramah. Um, we are talking about uh, the story of his family, Elkanah, the two wives. Hannah was the first wife. Sadly, she could not have children. He felt led to take a second wife, Panina, and Panina was able to have children. So, um, let's read next. We'll go right on with the story, beginning in 3. If someone would read 3 through 8. <coughs> now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where his two sons, Eli, Hopni and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Paniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? you got to love Elkanah. <laughs> he doesn't get it. <laughs> he thinks that Hannah should be perfectly content and perfectly happy because he has an, she has an adoring husband. But she wants children. And specifically, she wants a son. We'll find that out. Um, of course, we know that a husband and a son are two different relationships entirely. Penina, the second wife, has the advantage over Hannah. She has children. And she never lets Hannah forget it. Mm-hmm. We're back at 6 and 7. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. What do you think has happened with Hannah over the years, year after year, that this has happened? She's not eating now. Sounds like a mild form of depression to me. And it's really eating her. And uh, it, I'm sure conditions at home are very testing. She probably is dependent on to take care of the children along with the other wife. And I'm sure that that would be difficult for her. Um, 
Before we get too far, though, I want us to set the stage a little bit, and it's a good idea to look at the two towns that we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, this is a map of the 12 tribes of Israel. You remember from your Old Testament history that the Israelites have now been freed from Egypt at long last. They've spent a good bit of time wandering around in the wilderness until finally they are allowed into the promised land. And each of the tribes is given a certain amount of land. I love this map because it's so colorful and you see the clear divisions of the various tribes of Israel. <clears throat> now, Ramah, the town where Elkanah and his family are from, is not located on the map, but I can show you. It's exactly five miles north of Jerusalem, which puts it right at the edge of Ephraim. So we're talking about the tribe of Ephraim and um, <clears throat> hometown of the family. But we do have Shiloh on the map, and that is right here. Shiloh is a very interesting place in this particular time of Scripture because it is the location of the tabernacle. You re you'll recall that the tabernacle was a portable worship space. It was carried around throughout uh, the wilderness journeys. And finally, it was brought into the Promised Land, and they erected it in Shiloh, where it finally became stationary. So I imagine they chose that because it was central, pretty central to the rest of the tribes. And uh, that was important because, as you know, every year there were three festivals. And the husband, the father of every family was required to go to the tabernacle for the festival. That would have been a time of um, worship, sacrifice, and feasting. He would take his whole family, they would bring sacrifices. That's exactly what we see happening here in our opening um, verses. And so the family would go to Shiloh. Um, <clears throat> one other thing before we move from Ramah, I thought this was very interesting. Um, go back to Ramah, the small town where the family was from for just a moment. In the New Testament, that town still exists, but Ramah is called Aramathia. Does that mean anything? Yes. That was the town of Joseph of Arimathea, the one who gave his tomb for Jesus to be buried. But in the Old Testament, it was Ramah, and it's mentioned a number of times for various reasons. So... Um, so then we know that Shiloh then is where the, um, the tabernacle is located. Oh, I have a little slide of that. This is what the tabernacle would have looked like as a portable worship space. It was also called the tent of meeting. And so whenever that pillar of cloud moved, then up, time to pack up, take the tent down, take down the... Um, the brazen altar, take the Ark of the Covenant, move wherever God said. And then it would, the pillar would stop and they would set it all up again. Onto Shiloh. And then it remained in Shiloh for 340 years. Uh, that was a great 
revelation to me. I had no idea that that was where the tabernacle stayed for such a long period of time. Um, by the time it had been in Shiloh for a while, where our story is, they had added rooms, um, quarters for the priests, for instance, and we see that as we move further along into the book of Samuel. Um, let's see, we're talking about now, let's see, Shiloh was destroyed, though, in 1050 B.C., when the Philistines came through. That's going to happen very soon after the story that we're talking about. But, uh, and after that, it never returned to Shiloh again. So any questions about Ramah, Shiloh? How long did you say? 340 years. Mm-hmm. And Joshua, there's an interesting verse, uh, Joshua 18.1, where when the uh, tabernacle first came to the promised land, here's what it says. The whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. Well, we're talking about, I don't know, a million people? <laughs> I have no idea how many they had um, become by that point. But at any rate, it was decided that that would be the location, and it remained there. So, um, let's see if there was anything else about that that I wanted to mention before we move on. Okay, we talked about that it's harvest within yeah, uh, harvest time in our story. Probably mid-September to mid-October is when they, um, they would go up for the festival of the end gathering. They would be thanking God for the fall harvest. That was an important time for Israel to go to the tabernacle. And so Elkanah would provide these portions of sacrifices for the family. He had to give Penina more because she had all the children. But he made sure that Hannah had a sizable portion also. Linda? When it says that they gave portions, are they from the sacrifice or how was that done? Well, it just, I, all I know is that they would take portions of meat from, from the sacrifice. From their own flocks. Okay. From their own <coughs> For them to sacrifice or for them? Yes, okay. for them to take to okay. the priest for the sacrifice. Right. Mm-hmm. Every family did that. And then the priest would be entitled to a portion of that for his own food or whatever we find. We're not going to get into this today, but Eli's sons corrupted that practice. And um, they were a great disappointment to Eli and to, and to God. And there's a, a good, an interesting contrast because you've got Eli's sons who were corrupt and you've got Samuel who always was extraordinarily fine and you know just this contrast back and forth but we're on, we're concentrating on Hannah today um, let's see uh, what do you think about verses 5 and 6 the Lord had closed her womb we're talking about barrenness here um, this was a something that occurred frequently during the Old Testament um Still today we have it. And of course today there are more options, I think, for women. Um, uh, adoption, of course. We've got an example right here. Um, we've got um, fertility drugs, fertility clinics, and all kinds of medical procedures that can take care of that. But probably at this point, um, there would not have been anything except sadness and sorrow. And, 
hear Hannah's prayer in just a moment. So, um, I think it seems fitting that the author of life would say yes to a woman who wanted a child. But we know that sometimes he says no. And he has said no to Hannah year after year after year. So this is it's our situation. Well, let's continue with the story. Um, someone would pick up in verse 9, and we're going all the way to 20. Um, so maybe someone could read 9 through 14, and then we'll have someone read 15 through 20. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she bowed a bow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my lord, I am a wo woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkahah knew Hannah and his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Yeah. Just to show you for a moment, um, this is Eli. So I have a new character in the story, except that Eli was much older than this guy in our story today. Link, this is the outfit of the high priest. That This is something that he had to wear. Amazing, when you go back to Exodus and read all the different layers um, of things that are very specifically spelled out, when uh, the tabernacle was first designed and given to Moses by the Lord. And it was important for the priests to have these garments. Um, one of the most interesting things, I think, is the 12 stones here on the breastplate and then the two onyx stones on the shoulders, two ways that the high priest would carry the names of the tribes into the place of worship. These 12 tribes, each one was written on one of these... Um, valuable stones on his breast, and then there were six on each shoulder. So he was literally carrying the people in uh, to the war. That was um, the responsibility of the priest. His 
uh, headdress there had a, a brass plate that said, Holy to the Lord. So he was definitely set apart by God to, uh, to be the high priest. So this was Eli's responsibility. He had delegated some of the responsibility to his two sons, I mentioned, were a disappointment. So um, the robe was always, um, this is sort of the reverse. The robe here was supposed to be blue. The blue part here, which we would call the ephod, would have been the white linen, I think. So maybe if we could just reverse those colors, I think we would have them. So let's see, Hannah's prayer. Let's take a look at what Hannah says in her prayer, um, verses 10 through 16. What do you observe about some of the things that Hannah says or, or, or anything about her prayer? Don't you think it's interesting that she marches right past the priest, goes right into the tent, <laughs> starts praying? Um, no wonder Eli was a little curious mm -hmm. as to what this woman was doing. <coughs> What's the nature of her prayer? Petition a son. It is a petition. Not, not just necessarily a child, but a son. Uh, she's very specific, isn't she, with her prayer. She definitely wants a son. All right. Um, there's some interesting descriptions in here. Uh, verse 10, my version says, bitterness of soul. Is deeply um, distressed. Deeply distressed. Deeply distressed. Uh, she's not just saying, Lord, I, I like a son, you know, if you think about it sometimes. She's desperate. This is a, a very heartfelt, um, deep prayer. Probably something that she's been praying for a long time. Don't you get that feeling? Mm -hmm. This is not the first time. And um, she is definitely crying out to the Lord in verse 15. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. This is just consuming her. She calls it an affliction. So yes, she Somebody yes. has done this to her. Right. It's an affliction. It's, you know, it, she can't even uh, move on, move forward with her life. It's, it's such a, um, an issue for her. What do you think about Eli's reaction? <laughs> he doesn't have a clue. There, I'll never about it. doesn't have a clue. He had an assumption. Mm -hmm. yeah. But he, you know, yes. he wants to find out what's wrong with her. At least we can give him credit for that. I think what threw him off is that her mouth was moving, but there was no sound coming out of it. And he interpreted that as interpreted. So let me read you what the Living Bible says. This is so good. Um, Eli says, Must you come here drunk? Throw away your bottle. <laughs> oh, no, sir, says Hannah. I am not drunk. I am very sad, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Please don't think I'm just some drunken bum. <laughs> Leave it to the Living Bible to cut to the chase. Um, but seriously, though, have you been there? Has this been a, a, a style of prayer for you at some point in your life? It certainly has for me. On my knees, on the floor, crying. You know, why, God? This is not fair. This is not what I wanted. This is not, you know, please fix this situation. And um, I think we can identify with where Hannah is at this point. 
I thought about the last words of Martin Luther. You know what they were? He said, we are all beggars. Mm-hmm. It's true. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, he was talking about that we are sinners and that we are you know, in need of, uh, of God's grace. Mm-hmm. But um, in many times in our lives, we are beggars. And this is certainly um, the situation here with Hannah. But, you know, I love uh, <clears throat> the reassurance of Eli. Notice what he says. Um, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. He does not know, at this point, what she has asked. But he is the priest, and one of the responsibilities of the priest was to gather the prayers of the people and to take them to the altar of God. And that incense would take those prayers up to the Almighty. And so this is what he is saying to to Hannah, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is you've prayed for, we will trust that God has heard your prayer and that he will answer. Go in peace. And it really registered with her, didn't it? (coughs) What happened to her? Okay. Okay. I will. You know, her countenance changed. She flew out of there. And the next thing you know, she was eating dinner. So it it was a real spiritual... Um, moment, I think, for her. And uh, she she just felt assured that the prayer would be answered. She had faith Mm -hmm. that God would answer this prayer at long last. And so we see that he did in time. um, God heard and answered. Her son was born, and she named him Samuel, which means ask of God. Now, the big question, what do you think about Hannah's vow? Did you pick that up? She made a deal with God. Mm -hmm. All right, you do this for me, mm-hmm. and I will do this for you. Mm-hmm. What's your feeling about that? Mm-hmm. The problem? Oh, it's her mm-hmm. Pretty bold? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it okay? A lot of faith. Yeah. A lot of faith. Yeah. yeah. John? Well, I think also that was part of their dedication of a first son to the Lord. I think that was probably an expectation mm-hmm. that she would do that. So it's not just a kind of a casual thing that she's doing a pretty quote, quote, quote. Uh-huh. Well, that's a good point, except there's one other thing, because she says, I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. We're going to find out that she needs more than just offer him, offering him to the Lord. So, um, any, any other thoughts? The Old Testament provides for vows, and we find that in different places. One of the interesting things is that a woman could make a vow, but her husband could cancel it. (laughs) To Elkanah's credit, he didn't get the whole story here, but he doesn't cancel the vow. Okay, you mean this son? Well, we'll get to that one. All right. Um, let's see. Let's go to verse 21. And we need to read to the end of the chapter to find out what is going to happen. Are you ready? 21 to the end of the chapter. It really helps me because my voice is breaking up today. So, yeah, thanks, Abby. 
The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Can you imagine Elon's face at this moment? Hmm. You're going to do what? <laughs> I mean, he's probably a grandfather in age, and this little three-year-old is going to be deposited with him at the temple, and his mother's going to leave. <laughs> but we don't know. We don't know what his reaction was, except that it went forward. Um, Hannah, on the other hand, wow, can you imagine? what she must have been going through at that point, knowing that it was going to come, and yet having to leave her child there. This is not a journey that they would take back and forth except once a year. And so she knew that by the time she saw this little three-year-old again, he would be four. And a lot would have changed about him, and a lot would be, um, she would just miss that entire year um, of his life, and every year after that. Well, um, instead of dwelling on her loss, though, she sees the gift of God in granting her prayer. And she, uh, we next see that she has this wonderful song, the Song of Hannah, which comes in chapter 2. Um, before we read that, we... Um, one of the things that I found that was interesting is that there are at least four songs by women in the scripture. Um, two of them are women who are singing about victory over battle. Miriam after the um, victory over the Egyptians. And then Deborah sings a song of victory in the book of Judges. Then we have Hannah's song. Do you know who the fourth one is? Mary. Mary. Mary in the New Testament when she sings about the blessing that God is about to give her. So turn with me right now to Luke chapter 2 because Anna's song and Mary's song are very similar. Um, Luke chapter 2 starting at verse 46 and if someone would just read that through 55. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Is that right? Um, let's see. It should be, I'm sorry, chapter 1. Did I say chapter 2? That's not a mistake, Joni. Go back to chapter 1, and it's verse 46. 
And after three, yes, the eyes were there. And after three days, they found him in the temple sitting no. in the temple. That's right. That's one, significant. One, 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 one,
He will guard the feet of his saints. Who are the saints? Does your, does your version have saints? Okay, that's your answer. The saints are the faithful, those who believe. But the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointing. What you have a favorite line, or is there anything that jumped out at you from the song? It's also a prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. I think one of the uh, one of the most interesting things I did learn about the song is in verse ten. Um, Hannah it actually becomes prophetic in her song uh, in that last verse. In fact, the very last part of verse 10. Um, how does yours read? What mine has, he will give strength to his king. What do some of the other translations have? Same, Same thing? Mm-hmm. Okay, and then what? Exalt? Mm-hmm. Exalt the horn of his anointing. The power of his anointing. Horn means power or strength. Um, the first reference... Um, the king over Israel. She says, he will give strength to his king. There is no king over Israel at this point. The land has been ruled by a series of judges during this period of time in Israel's history. There is no king. She is pointing forward to the king of Israel and Samuel, her son, is going to be the one who will anoint those first two kings. Then, she says, exalt the horn of his anointing. That little phrase, his anointing, this is the first reference in the Bible to the Lord's anointed. Who is that? Who is that going to be? It's Jesus. In Hebrew, we have Messiah, which is the same thing as the anointed. In Greek, we have Christos, or Christ, in the New Testament. But it all means the promised one, the one who was anointed of God to be the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. And this is the first reference to that, right here in Hannah's song, in verse 10. So, Hannah becomes for us an example of a woman whose prayer life includes two very important types of prayer. We've seen the prayer of petition. We're all familiar with that one, aren't we? So we do that. We're always petitioning God for something. And now we see that this prayer, this song of Hannah, is a prayer of praise. We always want to remember to praise God for the answers to those songs. Or even if he doesn't answer, praise is such an important part of our, um, our prayer life. Her song has been called the Magnificat of the Old Testament because it parallels the song of Mary over in Luke 1. So we would think that Hannah's story could end here. The one request of God has been given, and she has responded by thanking God with this beautiful prayer song of her heart. But God has not finished rewarding Hannah. Let's go next to chapter 2. 
And if someone would read 18 through 21. I'm skipping to 18. 18 through 21. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So and now then, she's um, up to six. Sorry? So now she's up to six children. And if you would skip down and also read verse 26. 26. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord, and also with man. Mm-hmm. That verse 26 is interesting because it's a preview of what's going to be said of Jesus. In Luke 2.52, the boy grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. It's almost the same thing here with Samuel. A lot of parallels. Um, yes, Elizabeth has pointed out Hannah has very quickly <laughs> become the mother of lots of children. Two daughters, three sons. She's probably um, very happy and wondering why she ever said that prayer. <laughs> Just teasing, Linda. In, in hearing this story, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, the feelings of Samuel, whether he felt abandoned. I know. It's a very good point. It doesn't, doesn't mention anything about it. It does not. It does not mention that at all. Mm-hmm. Surely... Of course, he was three. I'm not sure how much you can process. Does Eli have a wife? I know. Uh, yes, she's not mentioned in the scripture, but, but since he has the son, so we assume that he had a wife. So I don't know whether she was on the scene or not. It's interesting that we, you know, she would have been the one yeah. to take care of this little one. But we all we know is that Eli was the presence in Samuel's life. But miraculously, Samuel grew up to be a wonderful child. And he served in the temple. God spoke to him when he was a very uh, young child. And at that point, Samuel actually became a prophet. Because uh, the role of the prophet was to hear from God and, and to speak to the people and tell them what God had said. Um, here is Samuel's outfit. Now, he does have the blue robe and then the linen ephod, which covers the robe. The blue part, the robe, is the part that Hannah would make for him and bring to him every year. So mm-hmm. that was a way that she could give him a gift, see him, uh, let him know that she was his mom. And uh, yeah, this, is the, this was the vow that she made. And uh, so Samuel went with it. We, as far as we know, we don't see any... Um, any problem um, from him. In that time of yeah, ministry, um, it must be uh, awful hard for the women to, to give their son away, their child, to yeah. give him away like that. Uh, when they're little. Oh, yeah. And especially after she had prayed for him and longed for him mm-hmm. for such a long time. It just seems amazing, mm-hmm. doesn't it? 
Moses' mother did the same thing. Moses' mother. That's right. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we do see that. Another, another place. Yeah. But it yes, was seen okay. as an honor to dedicate your child back to God. Mm-hmm. We, we, even the Lutheran Church, had somewhat of that system in the formation of pastors initially, mm-hmm. where our whole system was such that at ninth grade level, you sent your son to the prep school to prepare him to be a pastor. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. That's how the whole system, I mean, the system doesn't exist anymore, but that uh-huh. was the system. You, know, uh-huh. you sent him to prep school, then to the two years of college, then to two more, then to seminary. Uh-huh. So it's from, from age say, 12 to 13, till they were complete. And so that young, this would have been a boy, would um, not have had any say in that. Probably not. Mm. I can only, and and much of the system was, uh, you left home, you lived in a dormitory. Can you imagine sending your your 13-year-old son to live? Mm-hmm. With a, a whole bunch of other guys. We did survive. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. They don't do it anymore. I mean, I mean, people do that. Oh, yeah. 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 Send, send their kids to prep school. Yeah. 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 But not necessarily to be dedicated to yeah, but these were The idea was all of these young men yeah. were going to be pastors of the church. Right. Now, what about when your boys came along? The when prep our schools were gone. Prep schools were gone. It was gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a whole system of them. Yeah. They're all good. Thank you for that. The Catholic Church does the very same thing. Sure they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My wife's cousin, they sent him to school. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he finally left. And I think the sisters were very glad. <laughs> <laughs> but it was seen as an honor. An honor. To do that. Mm-hmm. You're dedicating your child to God. You know, in Hannah's vow, um, she mentions the line about no razor shall come upon his head. Mm-hmm. That was referencing back to Numbers 5, the Nazarite. <coughs> We've seen that already with Samson, and I think there are others. Um, that was an indication that this person, this child, had been given to God, dedicated to God. And he's, so apparently that's what's happening with Samuel. Thank you so much. That's always good to know. Um, how else was Hannah rewarded? God is not finished yet. I want us to go next to chapter three, starting at verse nineteen. We'll finish up here. Chapter three, beginning at nineteen, and going through chapter four, verse one. John, got that. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now the Israelites went That's out... That's good. Okay. That's all yeah. me. Yeah. Um... She was able to observe Samuel's maturity. I hope. I hope she lived long enough to see that. 
that um, the Lord let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Now the explanation of that is in the next verse. And all Israel recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet. That's what that means. When you're a prophet, a good prophet, then God speaks to you and you speak to the people and those are God's words that you are telling them. None of those words are going to fall to the ground. In other words, they're not going to be lost. The people will hear you and as a prophet. I put the map back up because it says that Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was a prophet of the Lord. You see what that is? From Dan to north to south. That was a, a common phrase. If they, you know, in the scripture, we, we need to know that something covered the whole territory, it, it will say from Dan to Beersheba, just like in North Carolina, we used to say from the Outer Banks to the mountains. You know, it just covered the whole uh, territory. And um, the Lord continued to appear to him at Shiloh. So he, he continued as a prophet. And his word came to all Israel. So the next thing, the next reference that we need to look at, this is the last one, is um, find it. chapter 7. Let's go to chapter 7, verse 15. <coughs> Chapter 7, verse 15 says, Samuel continued as judge over Israel. Okay, here we have another hat that Samuel is wearing. Judge over Israel all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah where his home was. And there he also judged Israel and built an altar there to the Lord. Who was in Ramah? We hope she was still there. So that every time he came through, he would come home, check in with him. So even though she gave him up very young, chances are she had some adult time with him as he would circle back through as a judge doing his job. So Samuel, there's a lot to be proud of in this, this man because Samuel goes down in history as being the last of the judges. He was a priest, a priest under Eli, and he becomes uh, the first of the prophets. <laughs> Sorry, Moses is considered a prophet, but he's kind of in a league of his own. Samuel begins this long line of prophets that we see in the Old Testament. So he's priest, he's judge, he's prophet. I don't know if anybody else in the scripture that wore all three hats. Do you, Pastor? Is that, I don't know if that's unique to Samuel or not. But it just seems fitting, doesn't it, for Hannah to, to know that. Mm -hmm. Her son was special. He was an outstanding young man. All right. Um, Finally, I just um, think it's important for us to understand um, some things that we want to remember from Hannah's life, and we'll finish up with this. I think that 
Hannah, instead of being resentful and angry toward Elkanah and Penina, she or Penina, she may have been experienced that somewhere in her heart, but we don't see it. She was able to keep that under control, and she took her uh, concern straight to God, approaching with courage uh, and believing that God answered her prayer. So that's one thing. And then I think the second thing we need to remember that is that instead of showing regret that she would lose her son, she gladly presented him to Eli at the tabernacle. It was her joy and delight to thank God in that way for the gift of a son. So God does not always answer prayer in the way we would want. But he always answers. In faith, we are welcomed and encouraged to come into God's presence, just as Hannah did. And I think we need to remember, too, that Hannah had to leave home and go to the tabernacle. Who is the tabernacle for us? It's in our hearts. Do you not know that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit? So we don't even have to make the journey. You know, we we have that opportunity right within us. That is where the Lord dwells. Um, I wanted to leave you with um, an interesting thought from Martin Luther again. Yes, and this is at the bottom of your handout too. Something to think about. Faith does not despair of the God who sends trouble. Faith does not despair of the God who sends trouble. Faith does not consider him angry or enemy. Faith rises above all this and sees God's fatherly heart behind his unfriendly exterior. And I think if those of us who have been blessed who have had a good earthly father know how that works because they knew better than to give us everything we wanted. And they certainly did not seem like our friend on many occasions. But it was the fatherly heart behind that exterior that we knew was the right thing. Now we know. We didn't know it then. Now we did. Well, thank you. Um, There's one, one more. One more. Yes, thing. sir. Mm-hmm. The name Samuel, the name Samuel in Hebrew, pronounced Shmuel, means name of God. Oh, interesting. So, Shmuel. 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 And it means what again? Name of God. Name of El, it's part. It, it's the shortened version of Elohim. You know, Elohim is God uh-huh. in Hebrew. So Shmuel was name of God. Very you can Google all this stuff. I just, <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. And Hannah, by the way, means gracious. Yeah. And certainly she personifies grace and faith. So. Um, next week, her name begins with an A. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the life of Hannah. We thank you for this woman of prayer. And we thank you that she is an example of the Old Testament to us. Um, and a reminder that we too can go to that tabernacle with anything that is on our heart and mind to you, a Father who loves us and welcomes us. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.